This week's fan guest is not only a very close friend of mine, but he's also a big fan of today's guest. As the policy director for a nonprofit organization called March for Our Lives, his days are focused on serving up change, hoping to reduce gun violence in the world. As a native New Yorker, we've made the US Open an annual friend event, and we even went to Wimbledon together to cheer on a few of our favorites, including today's guest. Please welcome the future mayor of New York City and WTA superfan, Max Markham. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you for that intro. That was so sweet. I'm so excited you're here today. It's one of our faves on the show. I'm really excited. I can't believe we get to talk to one of my faves. I'll let you reveal it before I say her name. Taytown. That's right. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate the suspense. I mean, hopefully if you're tuning into this episode, you know who it is. But yes, let's just wait. You and I are big music fans. I'm wondering, Max, if you're tasked with picking the song that today's guest walks onto the court for in her big comeback match, what song are you picking? So I love Taylor's attitude, right? I love, she, love how she gets fired up. I love how she likes to have quick points and how she plays aggressively and explosively. And I feel like she kind of has an old school style, you know, the net approach, the serve and volley. So I feel like it's got to be something upbeat, okay. but also kind of old school. And I'm going to say this, and you know what this artist means to me. I'm feeling Janet Jackson and I'm feeling Rhythm Nation. I was thinking... Whitney Houston, I'm your baby tonight. I know it's a little like, all right, let's go baby. But like, we'll we'll let her choose which one she's walking out to. Anyway, all right, let's bring her out. I'm very excited. Our player guest today at age 15 became only the second American to ever win the Australian Open junior title back in 2012. That same year, she'd add three Grand Slam junior doubles titles to her trophy case and finished the year as the number one ranked junior player in the world and be crowned ITF World Junior Champion. After turning pro, she would amass 10 ITF singles titles and a remarkable 17 ITF doubles titles, two titles at the WTA 125K level. And last January, she'd win her first official WTA title in Auckland by defeating two players that you may have heard of in the finals, Serena Williams and Caroline Wozniacki. With career wins over Sophia Kennan, Jen Brady, Amanda Anisimova, she'd have her best showing thus far in her young career, by upsetting then-world number four, Simona Halep, to reach the fourth round of the 2019 U.S. Open, as well as a memorable run to the 2020 U.S. Open double semifinal. Let's not forget to mention her amazing announcement last year that she'll be joining the likes of super parents on tour, like Serena, Federer, Azarenka, and Djokovic, with future Grand Slam champions hanging out courtside. Our guest today is the fantastic Taylor Townsend. Taylor, what's up? Welcome. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited you're here today. I know Max and I are big fans. Congratulations on the baby. Thank you so much. You're almost there. I think you're almost done, right? Yes, thank goodness. You ready? You ready for it to be over? (laughs) I'm ready for it to be over. I'm scared about what I have to go through to get to that, to the finish line, but I'm ready for the finish line to come. I asked someone, I was like, could y'all just put me to sleep and then wake me up when it's over? I think the COVID era, I mean, if you're pregnant during the COVID era, it has to have its perks because people just leave you alone. You're just like, you know, I don't want to be bothered. Mm, not really. No, <laughs> not in your experience. <laughs> not happening. Not happening. I see you're staying very active, Taylor. You recently posted on Instagram that you went out and played some tennis. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That was cool to see. Was that the first time you've hit in the past couple months? 
no, I, I still hit as much as I can. Unfortunately, like my sister lives an hour away from me. So she's really the only person that is good enough that can keep balls in the court <laughs> um, that's around me. But like when the weather is really nice or if it's somewhat decent, like I'll go to her tennis practices and just, I was like, okay, I'll wait until you're done. And then we can hit some. I don't need much, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's something. Just a little. They say that if pregnant women play tennis, they're going to produce a tennis playing baby. So just be prepared. <laughs> I know. There was an eye roll from Taylor Townsend there. I think it could be exciting. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Just be prepared. Okay. Before we start today's show, Taylor, I just want to ask how you've been doing during the COVID break. You've been okay? You've been healthy? Family been okay? Yeah, everybody's been really good. I'm really blessed in that way. Um, everybody, my stepmom, she works in healthcare and in a hospital and she's been really great, which is awesome. And um, we're just trying to make things work and make the best out of the situation. So really blessed. Good to hear. I'm really happy. Just keep wearing a mask, everybody. Hopefully we'll be vaccinated by the time you come back, Taylor. This is going to be fun. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, before uh, we jump into some recent tennis, we always start the pod with my favorite way to start any service game. 15 love. And that's 15 love. It's a super simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Taylor, and you just respond as quickly as you can with the first thing that pops into your town's head. <laughs> All right, question one. Name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television. Ooh, I remember watching Angela Haynes, 13 or 11 at the US Open. Loved Angela Haynes. Yeah. Loved, and where's Angela Haynes? She was in Atlanta, actually. Well, good, let's, let's make it happen. Colorado. I don't know. Question two, what has been the coolest baby gift given to you by a fellow tennis player? Everybody just got me really cool gifts. Jess Pagula got me one of the little moms for you, like the bassinet. You program on your phone, it moves. And that was something that I like really wanted because I don't have to do it as much. Like I don't have to do the manual labor. <laughs> so I thought that one was really nice. But a lot of people got me really great stuff. And I'm really appreciative of my tennis friends for looking out for me. You're very well liked. That's the rumor anyway, you know, so good job, Jessica Pagula. You know, she just did the show. She's winning the Australian Open. She's winning Taylor's gift bag race. I love all this. So good job, Jessica Pagula. All right. Number four, back to tennis. Which player would you love to play doubles or mixed with that you haven't played with yet? I would love to play mixed with Federer. Get in line, Taylor, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Either Martina Navratilova or honestly, I would have loved to play with Martina Hingis. Oh, yeah. Just name one. Her and she was like, it was ridiculous, like the shot making and everything. So I think that would have been a fun duo. Max, are you sensing a, a potential baby name? I know. Here? She's, I don't know. She's, she's, we'll uh, she's into the Martinez, <laughs> right? We'll have to see. We'll see. We'll see if we can get out of her at some point today. All right. Uh, number five, Taylor, name the time that you were absolutely the most nervous on a tennis court. This U.S. Open? <laughs> you, you were pregnant. I know. That's why I was so nervous. And I, was, I mean, uh, you use the energy properly. You got to the semifinals of the US Open. We're going to talk about it later. So, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. What, what was so nerve wracking? What was it? Were you just nervous that you were going to trip or? No, I didn't care about that. It was more so of like just knowing like in my head that I was three months pregnant, but still having that really strong desire and urge to win and like really was like doing everything that I could. But physically, I just felt like my body was kind of like, all right. It was nerve wracking because I think I felt somewhat unprepared, but it was in a situation where I just couldn't control. 
that adrenaline it was it was well done i loved it you owe me a manicure for all the nail biting that i had to do in that last match by the way i just fyi you're gonna venmo me after this all right number six if your child decides to be a tennis player but we've already said it's inevitable now because you've been playing pregnant so it's going to happen what would be some important advice you'd share that you wish you had had growing up i think it would be that it is incredibly important the circle and the people that you have around you and the the company that you keep And I think that's what's really cool about this whole experience, excuse me, because things that I went through as a very young child, I'm not going to have to allow my child to go through that. Even with knowing how public the tennis world is and how scrutinized you are from a very young age, being able to protect them, protect their minds, and um, hopefully, you know, if they decide to play tennis, it is what it is. I don't want it, but I can't like be naive, but you know, I just think that it's a very cool opportunity to kind of things to come full circle and have that opportunity to kind of change what happened to me. Well said. We learn from our parents, right? This baby is going to have a, a fierce mama. So that's, I mean, just hearing you say yeah. that, like that's, it's beautiful. It's really warm. Yeah. Heart. Question number seven. If you follow Taylor on Instagram, you know she loves to turn out a printed tee. She's rocking one today as well, everybody, just FYI. From Sailor Moon to Notorious B.I.G., she most definitely has her own tailor-made style. But I'm making you choose your favorite t-shirt, Taylor. Don't hate me. Which t-shirt reigns supreme in your queen-size closet? Definitely not a queen-size closet. I I think my favorite graphic is probably... I have a Metallica t-shirt that is black. It's like an acid wash with black and like this really pretty blue and white. And I think that's one of my favorite ones. The colors and everything are just really cool and really vibrant. Your Instagram is great with all your t-shirts. Is it just something you've always, uh, you've just always loved collecting t-shirts? It's just your style. No, I actually came into a new style. I didn't know what my style was for a long time. I kind of got into shoes. And then I was like, I don't have anything to wear with the shoes. So then I started kind of figuring out, I'm not really a girly girl. I will wear heels, but I, it's not my first option. I really love sneakers and like kind of dressing down sneakers and making it cute but comfortable. So yeah, I just started kind of exploring and kind of looking at street fashion. And that's kind of what I gravitated towards, what I was comfortable with and what I liked and how I liked that it looked on me. You had one that I was obsessed yeah. with after Charleston. You were you were interviewed after you beat, I think it was Gurgis, and you were wearing this like really cool retro, was like kind of like an 80s, 90s jacket. I was obsessed with it. I was just watching the interview last night. It was so <laughs> no. cool. I was like, where can I find this? I want to get it. <laughs> I have no idea. All right, number eight, if you had the power to change anything or any rule in pro tennis, what would you pick? Honestly, I would get rid of the on-court coaching. I hate it. Oh, really? I hate it so much. I can't tell you guys how many times I've forgotten to sign up for on-court coaching. <laughs> it's just, not, you know, is it annoying when the other players get it or you just don't like to do it? You have to accept that it's part of the game. But I think that for me, the really fun aspect of tennis is like a puzzle. It's like chess or checkers. Like you do something, your, play, your opponent does something, and it's a figuring out process. You have to do that at Grand Slams. At the highest level, they don't allow the coaching. So I like the figuring out and being able to work through a match, being able to come out with a victory to know, okay, I problem solved this. That's one of the really fun things that I love about the game. 
For sure. I think Max and I are both tennis players. We, we play recreational tennis. We're not really getting coached on the sidelines either. We love that aspect as well, figuring it out. From a fan perspective, I love to watch the on-court coaching. It's fascinating to watch the sociology of player coach. Mm-hmm. But if it's not happening on the court, it's going to happen on the sidelines or in the stands. And that's the not fun part about coaching Mm -hmm. where you're just like, it's blatant. People are getting called for it. We've seen it many times over the years where some people are pointed out and others aren't. So just, you know, just do it. Let's just have that one moment. And if you get caught doing it in the stands, hey, you're in big trouble. Number nine, you have an old school type of tennis game that baseliners fear. Who was your tennis idol growing up? I think we've already heard. Yeah, Martina Navratilova for sure. I see that for sure. I'm so curious about that too, Uh, because I feel like I'm older than you and I didn't even watch Martina play. I mean, kind of, you know, when she did like the mixed and and some of the sort of twilight of her career, but how did you come upon Martina? Was it with coaches? Was it old videos? So I used to play a long time ago in glasses and she was the only person besides Billie Jean that was playing in glasses. As a young kid, you find similarities with people that, you know, oh, she's wearing glasses. Oh, she's left-handed. And then in the inception of the internet and YouTube and all of this stuff. I mean, I grew up watching Venus and Serena, obviously, but I never really felt like game-wise, like I connected with them, but it was always amazing to watch and a very much so an inspiration for me feeling like, you know, I can accomplish being on the pro circuit. Game-wise, I really connected with Martina. I really loved the way that she hand, like was on court. She was very spunky, very feisty, and I felt like yeah. it was kind of like me. I just gravitated towards watching her and just kind of studying like what she was doing. Have you ever met her, Taylor? Yeah. You have? Yeah. Okay. It's always a little scary to meet your idol, but I would think that Martina is quite humble and quite cool. So yeah, yeah. it was very cool. And, and we were doing slice to slice game, volley games and like all this stuff, which it was like, if I could have done anything, that was like a dream come true. So it was really fun. Question 10, you get one loss, singles or doubles from your career, Taylor, to turn into a win instead. Which do you pick? I lost to Flavia Panetta in the second round of Indian Wells, and I was up a break in the third set, and she took a bathroom break at 3-1. What? Like, I was so mad, and it just kind of, like, threw me off my game. Like, it was just such a vet move, Mm -hmm. and she Mm -hmm. knew exactly what she was doing because I had the momentum. I'd won the second set 6-3, was up an early break in the third, and took a bathroom break before her serve, and I was just, like, I was totally pissed. And came back and I ended up losing, I ended up losing the third set 6-3 or 6-4. And she ended up winning the tournament. And <laughs> she ended up winning she Indian did. Wells. And then the next, yeah. either that same year, she won US Open. I the think, year, or yeah. the, the following year. And then she retired. So I think but I had played her two or three times, like in that span. But the Indian Wells loss was really tough because that was her first premier mandatory title. Huge, huge win for that veteran. Yeah, for sure. I mean, but now you've learned, you know what I mean? That's not going to happen again. The next time it happens, you're like, you know what? Don't you Flavia Panetta me. Yeah. No, no. Take your time in the happening. bathroom. I'll be here. I'll would... up, up a break. I'll get another That's break. Right. Take... Back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I would have thought you would have said Andreescu fourth round at the US Open for sure. That would have been also. mine, but hey. It was a great match and we were really going toe to toe. It was just a couple of mistakes here and there, but I don't think that it was because she did anything extra spectacular to win the match. But I think that the one with Panetta, it was just something that was so small that just made such a big difference. I'm glad you picked Panetta. That's great. All right, number 11, you're one of the best doubles players in the world. Can you give our listeners a piece of doubles advice? <laughs> Can't be scared of the ball. That's actually <laughs> really good advice. <laughs> Don't be scared. And you know what? If you hit your doubles partner, sometimes it just happens. Oh, well, you know what? It's just part of the game. Yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> Number 12, which player on tour do you think has the best sense of humor? Probably Jenny. She's one of the funniest people and just so down to earth. She put a post up on Instagram. was like, should I bring back the, the headband? Because I used to put shea butter like everywhere on my face and everything like that. I had to incept her into like black culture a little bit. And so she started using it. She was like, wow, I'm not ashy anymore. This is amazing. And so I told her, if you bring back the headband, you look like a damn tomato. We're going to have to put a whole salve of shea butter on you. So she just has like a really great sense of humor and uh, just super duper funny. Okay. Number 13, describe yourself off court in just one word, Taylor. Mm. Is that M -mm -mm H? (laughs) Is that the word? (laughs) (laughs) I think think it would be. Number 15. Taylor, once you retire in 15 or 20 years, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered as someone who was able to transform and transcend the game. I think everybody has an ability to create their own legacy. We're witnessing it right now. Serena's created her legacy. Naomi is creating her legacy. Coco is creating one. And I think that's the cool thing. Like everybody kind of has a platform to make their own individual path and people to be a part of it. And so for me, for the game of tennis, I think that being one of, you don't have to play like everybody else. You don't have to look like everybody else. You don't have to fit into this box in order to be successful. And if I'm able to inspire people to like aspire to be a tennis player or to go that next step or those, those extra levels because they felt like they couldn't and they saw someone that was doing it, then it's a win. You've been inspiring for years, Taylor Townsend. So thanks for that. Before we jump into your amazing career, Taylor, I'd love to talk some recent tennis. I'm sure you're loving the time off from traveling, but you haven't slowed down at all. You just recently launched a new workout series, Train With Tay, Mm -hmm. that you posted on your Instagram. You're acing the pregnancy game, my friend. The first session is up now. What was that inspiration behind that? Well, I wanted to make sure, and I've been recording a lot of my, pretty much all of my workouts and trying to content while I'm not playing. (laughs) This is all very new to me. Just wanted to kind of give people an insight of the athletic side of pregnancy. I think a lot of people don't really show that. And I think it was a very unique perspective from going from like, you know, the times when I was first pregnant and I was three and a half months pregnant playing at the US Open to then now I'm done, I'm taking time off. And these are the things that I'm doing to try to stay in shape so that I can go back. So I thought it was just an interesting concept that we can tap into and and that people would be interested in. And a lot of people always say like, hey, we want to see you, you know, doing videos of, you know, you hitting and you training and all that stuff, because that's not really stuff that I do a lot because I'm a private person. But when I'm in that zone, I just go, like, I don't really think about taking out my phone. So yeah, I just, that was really the inspiration. Just thought it was something cool. Well, you motivated me when I saw it on Instagram. I think I had a Dorito in my (laughs) mouth and it fell out when I saw it. And I was like, okay, all right, we got to get out. We got to do something. Right. So looking forward to the next one. Session one is up now real quick. I mentioned the Australian open as a former Miss Australian open junior. Did you keep up with all the drama in Melbourne? I did because this baby is keeping me up all night. (laughs) I was going to ask, I know Max and I are sleep deprived because we've been up texting each other for two weeks. I'm assuming you're sleep deprived as well. Good. Good to know. Yeah. (laughs) What were your highlights from the Australian Open, Taylor? What did you think of Serena and Naomi? Well, I thought it was some really great outfits. Number one, that was, I'm going to say that I, I text Serena. I was like, oh my God, like you look amazing. This outfit is everything. 
honestly, I thought that this was a really cool Australian Open because it was a lot of people who broke through. It wasn't your atypical Australian Open. And I thought that was really, really cool to see Jen, to see Jess, to see Shelby, to see so many Americans in the quarterfinals. It was awesome. It was just cool to see that it wasn't the atypical people that were in the later, the last eight, the last four. I loved every minute of it. Max, we've talked about Jen Brady. Do you think she has a grand slam in her? Uh, We love Jen Brady. We're rooting for her. You know, Uh, she's sitting at the table now with all the best players in the world, which is really exciting. I think anybody who makes it to a grand slam final, not only a grand slam final, but a grand slam semi at the U S and then right after getting to a grand slam final, Absolutely. She's got the, she's got the weapons. She can get over the finish line, but you know, I totally agree with what Taylor just said. It was so exciting. They always talk about like the new generation of women's tennis. And I feel like there are so many generations packed into this time right now. And it's not just, you know, Sloan played Venus played Coco played. They all played in the singles, but it wasn't them that got to the second week. You know, it was Shelby, it was Jess. And it was so nice and refreshing to see, no, not new faces necessarily, but in terms of how they progress. I think Jen's got one in her for sure. Maybe a couple. Real quick before we move on from Australia. Do you think we'll see Serena and Venus in Melbourne next year, you two? Yeah, I think so. You know, she's the only one that has Serena's telephone number here. So we're going to go with, we're going to go with that say, one. I'm so not I answering love... this. You just told me you texted <laughs> Serena. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How would you have done in hard quarantine for two weeks? Does that sound fun or does that sound like a disaster? Oh my God. I struggle with the, 36 hours I did in New York. I was like, oh my God, I'm about to like go crazy. Their rooms were much nicer too than ours in New York. So I would say that, that at least they had a view and you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I really commend the players, especially I know Jen was one of the people who had to do a hard quarantine and then, you know, kind of jump right into the open. So I really commend her for that effort. But I know Sloan was, and there were several players who played each other who had to do the hard quarantine. So I think it is really a test to the mental toughness of the game and of the sport, because I think that some other people in other sports have been crying like babies. <laughs> it was a really interesting couple of weeks in Australia. So it's just the evolution of tennis in the COVID era. We've seen it in New York. The French open was a lot different from New York. The Australian open has been very different from Paris and New York. So we'll see how Miami does. They're going to have fans they announced. Um, so hopefully we'll see, you know, how uh, by the time the summer rolls around, vaccines are in place, we'll have fans back and maybe tennis will be back to normal. So, I know we have one of our favorite players on the show today. I consider you to be a super fan, just like me in tennis in general. What was the first tennis match you remember watching? You you talked a little bit about that. Um, And what was it really about Taylor's game that resonated so much with you? So I think, I mean, funnily enough, I mean, first of all, my approach to tennis as in life is I'm rooting for everybody black. So whenever I see somebody, and, and particularly in tennis, I'm like, I know that this was a harder road for you than most to get to where you are. And that's like such an exciting thing to see. But funnily enough, I actually was at the 2014, was it 2014? Yeah. The night match on Ash where you played Serena. I was there for the day session and it was so hot that day, but it was Roger and it was Serena. And I had heard your name before. And I was like, Oh, like, I hope, you know, I hope she's good. Cause you know, Serena sometimes first round can be, can just eat you up. And I was like, I hope this girl can, can hang. And I remember that first game where you held serve. Mm-hmm. And I think you had like an approach forehand or backhand. I was like, oh, this girl is fearless. Like she's bomb. She's just spanking the ball. Like she doesn't care who's on the other end. 
I was scared. Like I was nervous for you and it didn't look like you were nervous at all. And it was just like, you were probably like what, 18 or 17? Like you were, you were yeah. young. And from then on, I was like, this girl is a star. And I remember when, you know, you played Simona that like, oh my gosh, that gutsy match to be up and then go down and then eke it out in the end. I mean, it was incredible. It was like all of New York cheered for you. So amazing. Taylor, in your career, your fan love has been getting so much bigger, especially after that US Open. Has there been any kind of fun gift or any weird messages from fans? What's your fan culture like as a player? It's been something that I definitely had to get used to, especially like, because I wasn't used to all of that type of attention. And it didn't bother me, but I just knew it came with the territory. I was like, oh my gosh, like, why is this person talking about my feet? <laughs> stuff like that, yeah. like weirdo stuff. Like, I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. I can imagine what your inbox looks like. So yeah, it's going to be. <laughs> well, Max, you're a smarty pants. You went to Stanford undergrad, NYU law school, but have you studied hard enough to get a WTA degree from Townsend oh University. It's time to play a game called I 40 Love You. It'll be Max versus Taylor in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Taylor's career in life. Max, I'm gonna ask you two questions about Taylor's career. And then Taylor, I'm gonna ask you two questions that were Taylor made for you. If we happen to end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm gonna give Max the opportunity right now to be today's champ but only if he survives this first question. Otherwise, the tiebreak goes to Taylor Townsend. This game is called True or False. This is an early test of your fandom to Team Taytown, Max. Townsend University can be a very difficult place, so I'm I'm hoping you I'm do well. I'm a straight well. A student, so I'm, we'll see. I love it already, the pressure. I'm going to give you three statements about Taylor. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon Lions person's voice. <laughs> You need two of three of these to win the tiebreak. All right, Max, here's your first question. Taylor has gone on record saying how much she loves playing world team tennis. So true or fault? Taylor played in her seventh season of world team tennis for the Philadelphia Freedoms this last year and is one of just five current players to have played at least seven seasons or more for the same team. Is that true or fault? She played for the Philly Freedoms, that's true. I'm going to say true. Well done, but it's, I made all that up. I'm so sorry, Max. It's, um, <laughs> Taylor has played seven seasons, but she played one year for oh. Sacramento. I love it. Why do I like it when you get something wrong? How, because you're just, because I never student, get things why. wrong unless you make tricky questions that are unfair. <laughs> uh, you kind of knew, you knew half of it. So you knew the fan part. Taylor, you played in just a few events in the COVID era mainly the U.S. Open bubble, also the EXO Series in Atlanta. But World Team Tennis is really your first experience playing in the COVID era. As a veteran, did you enjoy the change with everyone staying in Greenbrier? Did you feel like it was a big sorority fraternity? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really relish in having my own space and not having to see everybody all the time. <laughs> So that was definitely a change for me, but I think everybody was just really, really excited and happy to play. So I kind of put that side, part away from me and I had Winston, so he was a great buffer. Okay, good. You only brought one of them. Yeah, Creed is huge. What's one memory from WTT that makes you smile? We just had a lot of fun that year. As the season progressed, we had a great turnout. And then the following year, people came out even more because they were excited. So just to see the buildup of people getting excited 
for, you know, sport to be in Philly, not only just, you know, the 76ers, but, you know, the freedoms kind of getting that excitement for the team again was really cool. Okay, Max, question two, you can redeem yourself right here. True or false, Taylor made her Fed Cup debut in 2015, partnering with Coco Vandeweghe against Team Argentina in Buenos Aires. Is that true or false? I'm going to say true. Taylor, is that true or false? It is. That's true. It's very true. And you went undefeated in Fed Cup action. I mean, you're still undefeated. Let's go. Obviously, you're a world team tennis lover, so I'm sure you love the Fed Cup format too. What was that experience like getting to play down in Argentina? Yeah, that was the first time ever being invited to play Fed Cup, and it was a cool team. It was Venus, Serena, Coco, and myself. It was great. I mean, that was my first time in South America. Argentina was beautiful. It was hot as hell. The Fed Cup environment is so different in person than it is then on TV. The fans were very rowdy. Country pride, like no tomorrow. So I was really, it was really interesting and cool to see their engagement like in person versus like on TV. You felt like you were at a soccer match almost. And it was really cool. I'd never experienced it to that degree before. So it was cool to be like actually on court being able to experience that. Argentina has a very strong sporting culture. So yeah. that's no surprise. Nadia Podoroska was on that team, a very young, she's top 40 now. So really great win. You guys won in straight sets. You played on the red clay. Do you enjoy the red clay? Yeah, I love playing on clay. Unique for an American. Surface wise. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I mean, she made her Grand Slam debut in the third round of the French. So, I mean, I, I figured she liked it at some point. As a high performance athlete, is there a non-tennis player that you look up to in the world? Is there someone that I know we mentioned Martina squared earlier and they've accomplished so much for the sport, Mm -hmm. but is there another athlete that you look at and say, you know what, I really love what they've done in their sport. For me, Colin Kaepernick was super, super inspiring in terms of his, not only his stance of how he was able to handle things, but he wasn't afraid to lose or to miss out on things. And I think that's a really important message that people can take besides all the other stuff that, you know, people can try to get into, but from an athlete and an athletic standpoint, I thought that it was very cool how opportunity was stripped from him. And he was like, it is what it is, was accepting of the situation. And he knew that, you know, as things progressed, that he was one of the top quarterbacks in, in, in the NFL. It wasn't about his talent, his potential, what he brought to the table or his performance. So I just thought it was really cool how he handled the situation. He had his head down. He stayed steadfast, but he continued to just work. When the opportunity presented itself, he was ready. Boom, let's go. You know, and I just thought that that was really cool and very inspirational from an athletic standpoint and just kind of his mental fortitude that he had. So besides all the other stuff that, you know, people try to kind of outshine and or try to make it a bigger deal or, you know, whatever your viewpoints are on how he handled the situation from an athlete standpoint. I thought that was absolutely cool. Cause I think he was one of the first to really not give a shit about missing out. And I think a lot of people kind of change and waver because they don't want to miss an opportunity and they might do something that's against their morals or their character. So I thought that was very cool and very, you know, upstanding of him. Yeah. That's, I mean, I feel like just being, being able to shut out the noise, like there just, there's, yeah. I cannot even imagine what that must have been like. I mean, his social media, his name is everywhere. And it just have like the sense of self where you're confident in your abilities as an athlete, even if other people don't believe in you, or even if you're not getting 
you know, what you think your career should look like, you're still holding to your principles, but knowing that you can come back, knowing that you can do the work and then you'll be there and get success. That's incredible. Yeah. So inspiring being a part of the movement. I, I love what someone like Naomi Osaka has done as well. I, I, I'm, I've always been a big fan, but I just love athletes like Coco and Naomi who use their voice for the right reasons in life like Colin has. So thanks for that. Um, all right, Max, last one in this round. You can win this tiebreak. You're one and one. Let's do it. I mentioned earlier that Taylor had that amazing run to the 2020 U.S. Open double semifinal. But we'll talk about that match in a little bit because, again, it was a good one. Did you know that that was not Taylor's first Grand Slam semifinal? She and her partner, Donald Young, defeated world number one, Ash Barty, on the way to a 2014 U.S. Open semifinal appearance. Is that true or false? Oh, was it Ash Barty? I think it's true. Taylor, is that true or false? It's true. It's true. Well done. You win the tiebreak, Max. That was that was fun. I know. Oh, man. All right. Fine. Yes. Well done. Thank Good recovery goodness. there. We had Donald on the show a few weeks back. Such a great guy. Really like him a lot. He gave us his thoughts on that semifinal run, Taylor. What do you remember from any of those 2014 mixed matches? <laughs> that was really fun. Um, Donald was playing extremely well. And I remember I lost early in the tournament, but I think I was that was 2014. So yeah, so I lost to Serena, I think, that earlier in the singles. I remember he played Stan Rawlinka. He had all these crazy five setters and I was out there dying, like watching him play. He's like my brother. So I was there to support him. And it was really fun just for us to be able to like do really well there and to have someone that you're so close with. But I just remember it was so awkward because I remember looking at the pictures and like he did not want to hug me. after the matches were over and it was just like i'm grabbing him and he's just like <laughs> off me so it was like it's really funny like looking at it now but yeah it was a great run we beat some really good teams i remember we played ivan dodig that year and andrea sestini and no you had a great run i loved it and you played with him again so i love that you followed it up at least you're oh, just yeah. like all right let's try it again yeah you've always had a very strong connection with donald you mentioned he's kind of like a brother to you i read that your mother knew Donald's father growing up. I thought that was very cool. What was that connection? Yeah. So I think my mom played doubles with his wife. So they've known each other since teenagers, basically. Little Donald, like Donald Jr. was the ring bearer of my mom and dad's wedding. So literally I have pictures of him with a little little pillow thing with him and my, and my cousin they've always been around and always grew up around them like you know even before I started playing tennis so it's definitely you know a family affair and it, and it was great to have someone that you're so comfortable with that was out on tour and he inspired me probably he was probably my biggest inspiration growing up well you had a lot of the same similar you know backgrounds yeah. you were the number one junior in the world you know you had all this pressure from tennis media to be the next you know superstar player i mean there's there's a lot of interesting correlations between you both when you were really starting to get serious about tennis and you thought this was going to be the progress and in, into a pro career you moved back to atlanta how old were you when you moved back to atlanta yeah i moved back in 2015 i was going on 19 okay did Donald help you develop this all-around Navratilova, Shriver, Garrison, McNeil type game that you have? Was that something that, that you've always had? Did you play juniors that way as well? Or was it something you had to kind of really develop? No, Mr. Young has always been really great at kind of identifying what each person is good at 
And that's why I kind of struggled like when I went and left because everything was so cookie cutter. And I wasn't used to that because everybody was so different. I loved being at the net, love volleying, love the fast stuff. But my sister, who was two is two years older than me and who had been playing longer than me, was like bam bam with a tennis racket. Like she just everything she like was hit fifty miles fifty thousand miles an hour. But she was a is still a great ball striker. But you know, she was like, I'd rather finish the points from the baseline than at the net. And that's my sister. We grew up in the same house. So it was interesting that my coaches were always looking, him and his wife, Miss Young, were like, no, you're good at this. You're good at this. You're good at this. And not really having, Mm -hmm. they gave you the basics of like, okay, you need to be solid, but really kind of allowed you to express your individuality on the court. And I thought that was really cool because not everybody was good at the same stuff. So yeah, from the time that I started, I always loved it because I was like, I me personally, I was trying to hit people. So that was like, that was my <laughs> I knew you. I knew there was some shade in there somewhere. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was your entrance exam into Townsend University, Max. Well done. That was great. You have the tie break. Let's go to question one. Here's your first question, Max, for all the glory. Let's do this. Taylor would win the 2012 Australian Open junior title and her success would propel her to become the ITF world junior champion that year. Which current top 30 player who also caused controversy by posting on Twitter in hard quarantine during her stint in Melbourne, did Taylor beat to win that Australian Open junior title? Was it Putinseva? Oh, it yes. was Putinseva. Yes. It, <laughs> oh, man. You're doing so good at this game. You're showing your fandom. I love it. Do you follow Putinseva on social, Taylor? No. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> There was so much controversy with her. She got into that Twitter war with Renee Stubbs. She had rats in her room. There was a lot. There was, you know, she had a lot going on. I heard that. about the rats. I was watching her play Sloan and yeah. talking about rats and then they, she was feeding them and stuff. You played her in juniors. Did she always play that same way? Was she very uh, interesting as, as a young player as well? Yes. Yeah. For the record, the faces <laughs> Taylor is making right now <laughs> tell all the story you need to know. <laughs> well, we, we spoke about the junior grand slams also in 2012 you won the australian open wimbledon and u.s open doubles titles you almost won the grand slam in doubles i'm so mad i twisted my ankle in the quarters or in the semis or something of the french and i could not move you played that french with eugenie bouchard yeah amazing do you remember who you lost to not that this question counts you don't get a half for this but do you remember who it was i'm pretty sure it was monstrat gonzalez and I think it was Haddad Meyer or something like that. It was, yeah. yeah. Well done. Okay. I'm just testing your memory. You're, you have a question coming up. So I'm just, I just have Taylor's to feel you out. Okay. This trivia, I can already feel it. <laughs> Taylor, you were an outstanding junior. Can you share with the people listening your tennis journey and how you started playing tennis? Because really, how does one become the best junior tennis player in the world? It all kind of happened like out of nowhere, honestly. I mean, it literally went from me losing in grade threes and B, B tournaments. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what they're called anymore because it's changed. I won Tulsa, and then I got my ranking up to where I could go to Australia, and then I went to Australia and, like, did well in the warm-up tournament. And it all just happened extremely fast. He's a good friend of mine, Noah Rubin. I remember we were down in FOCA, and I just lost at the Everett ITF that they play all the time. 
I was talking to him and I'm like, no, man, like, I'm just over it. Like, I'm, I'm winning everything in doubles, which I was. Like, I mean, it wasn't a tournament that I played that I wasn't winning in doubles. Me and Gabby were just sweeping through everybody. That's kind of like how me and Asia became where just mopping them up. And mm-hmm. like, so I was like, man, like, I, I can't win a match in singles. Like, I have no confidence, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I'm really thinking about just like focusing on doubles and becoming a doubles partner. And by this, at this time, I'm maybe 14, maybe 13 going on 14. And he was like, Taylor, no, like, you're just, you're way too good. It'll happen when it's like supposed to happen. And I was like, I guess, like, it's easy for you to say, you know what I mean? And, and literally, I kind of think that me verbalizing that was like my acceptance of the spot where I was in, like, in my, in my tennis and my career it wasn't that I wasn't doing the work. It wasn't that I wasn't putting the hard yards in because I was, but I think that without knowing, I think that me saying that out loud was my way of just kind of like, this is where I'm at. You know what I mean? And then from that point, literally things just took a 360 in turn and ended up me and Noah actually won Tulsa that year. So it was a very cool kind of change, but that's kind of like the big moment that I remember where I was about to just call it quits with singles and focus on doubles. And and that's when things changed around. Plus you had a really great support system around you. Your mom was a tennis player as well. So she must've seen the potential in you to say, you know, Taylor, you can do this, you can be the best. And you were, you were the number one junior in the world. So that was a great story. Thank you. Um, how old were you when you beat your mom or your sisters for the first time? That's always a fun milestone when you're young. Do you remember that moment? So my sister and I used to play each other all the time in like the finals of tournaments. I had to play up because my parents like couldn't afford to take me to the 14s in South Carolina and my sister's playing the 16s in Macon or whatever. So I had to play up and it was just like, you just got to, you're 11, you're playing against 18 year olds. It is what it is. Like you figure figure it it out. out. Exactly. It was a figuring out time for a little bit. And then I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. My sister and I, we got to the point where we were playing each other like in the finals of like tournaments and stuff. So then my parents were like, we're not driving to Augusta two hours away for you guys to play each other there. We're either going to go to the court right here five minutes away and y'all play or we're going to flip a coin and you win or you win. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But did it get rowdy afterwards? Did oh, they, yeah, I mean, I was, was there pouting involved? Okay. Yeah, I was pissed. Like if I didn't yeah. win, like I was You're pissed. the sore loser so of I, the sisters? I'm not a sore loser, but I'm just really competitive. And I hated losing to my sister. We were playing in the qualifier, something in Macon. So my, my mom always was like, okay, you're not supposed to like, don't talk to your opponent on changeover, blah, 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 blah. So we're both on our bench, just not paying attention to each other. And I went over to her side and I was like, put my arm around her. I was like, it's really nice weather out here, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> like it just totally got in her head. I was like, she would hit a winner. I was like, Simone, that was a great shot. Like I put my racket down and would just clap. Like that was awesome. Like you should try that again. And it just like, it went from, she literally beat me 6-0 in the first set. And then I ended up winning the seven, second set 7-6 because she was just so mad. So that was the first time that I think it really like, I started to get this in This makes sense now why um, you, your advice was don't be afraid of the ball was because your sister was probably trying to hit you because she was so annoyed. She was oh. like, 
we're getting to the multi layers exactly. of the Townsend family right now. I'm loving this right now. We have we're at the like third layer of this onion. I, I re- <laughs> this is so funny. You know, obviously you're playing these tournaments. You're trying to figure it out. You're playing junior events. You're also playing ITF events at the same time. You played quite a few before you turned pro. How did you decide on that first 10,000K tournament? You played it in Amelia Island. You ended up qualifying. You won your first match in the main draw. You were 14 years old. Mm-hmm. You were figuring it out, not only on the ITF level, playing 18-year-olds, but you're playing now senior level and you're winning matches. You must have thought, hey, I could do this. This is, this is pretty easy. No, I remember, <laughs> I remember that clear as day. At the time, I was at USTA, and they put together your schedule. And obviously, you know, you try to get a wild card into tournaments and just trying to get opportunity. And I remember qualifying, and I was like, oh, you must, like – but then I was like, you got to get to at least the second round to get a point. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is ridiculous. So it was so hot there. I, I'll never forget that. But we went as a group, and it was like – that was, I think, my first time playing a pro tournament. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting because – it was a different environment, different atmosphere. And obviously seeing like grown women, like, you know, playing, but I have such an appreciation, especially, you know, from the ups and downs of my career, because I've gone from being 93 to where my ranking dropped to below 400. And I'm going from playing mains of slams to being in qualities of 25s where you're playing and you're having to grind and, you know, it's not things where it's like, it's an easy, it's not an easy check. It's not easy money. Like everything is a grind and people are really like out here, like fighting for like something. And I was at the time I was so young. I was just like, I just really love the game. Not understanding that like these ladies and these women are out here playing, like they have families, they're trying to get to the next event. And especially now going through all the things that I've gone through in my career and playing both the tour and the ITF circuit, it's incredibly difficult to like to, to get in the green and to be profitable on that circuit. So I really now, obviously looking back at the time, it was just fun. It's like, Oh my God, my first pro tournament, this is so fun. But you know, now is definitely, I have more of an appreciation for that level and, you know, having to work your way through those steps to get to where you, where you get. Only true tennis fans really know, the strength it takes to really get through that. I mean, you have some of these great champions. You're playing alongside Brady, Kennan, Collins, all just like you. You've all started playing these ITF events. So kudos to you for getting out of there. We're going to talk ITF now. This is your question. You've had a very successful singles career, Taylor. You've won 10 ITF tournaments by age 24. So we've had a very successful career. Your all-around game would soon prove quite difficult to be managed by players on the ITF circuit. So here's your first question. In your Grand Slam debut, you would advance to the third round of the 2014 French Open. And in 2015, you'd make your top 100 debut. But like any great champion in history of tennis, Agassi, Azarenka, Celis, Williams, so many, one must experience adversity to know that they truly belong at the top. You worked very hard to get your ranking to a career high in 2018, Taylor. So in honor of your years of effort winning on the ITF tour, here's your first question. I'll be testing your memory. Dating back from 2017, you won your last seven ITF finals. Your first title of 2017 would come in Sumter, South Carolina, where you'd win the tournament without dropping a set. But how good is your memory? Can you remember which current top 100 player won the most games off of you during that event. It was Jess. That was really quick. 
She's going to be very tough. It is 1-1 in this game right now. It is Jess Pagula. What an amazing season Jess has had. Great Australian Open. I predicted a big year for Jess last year. I'm going to say it. She's going to, she's not done yet for sure. So well done. Taylor, is the ITF tour a friendlier place than WTA tour events? It just depends. It can be, but not at the same time, because I think the level of competition when it comes to the financial piece is so much Mm -hmm. more. And that I was like, you really can't disassociate the two, you know, unless you don't need it, then it's like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm playing. But um, yeah, I think a lot, there are a lot of players on the ITF circuit that aren't traveling with coaches Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I changed that it is because I think that the overall su- player to player support is much more because it's very hard with what you're making to afford to travel with a coach plus one, you know, and really have that whole circular team that you see typically on the WTA where people are traveling with a coach, a physio, a, you know, whatever. So friendlier, but also probably more head games as well, because the, the competition is a little more cutthroat because, you know, obviously the livelihood of a ITF professional playing is, you know, you have to get to that semifinal or final to really come out on the positive for the week yeah. when you mad up everything. Yeah. yeah. Taylor, I became a huge fan of yours um, in 2017. I read a Sports Illustrated article about your commitment to getting back your tennis spark. You mentioned dropping really low in the rankings. Mm-hmm. You took such control of your career after that. Your story was so familiar and very inspiring to so many. What did you do to rekindle your tennis love? I quit for three days. <laughs> really? I literally was like, I told my coach and I was like freaking out. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to sell him? I was sweating and I was scared. And I was like, oh my God, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I called my coach and I was like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. I'm over it. I'm tired. It became a running joke. Oh, you're going to tournament? Okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Like, because I would like go and I would lose and I would be back the next day. <laughs> and it literally, that's savage. That's, that's literally, savage. Savage. That's, literally Sa- that's a tennis happened. family. That's an insane tennis family right there that is willing to just, you know. Oh, oof. oh, they didn't care. It was like, all right, we'll just, we'll see you. It is what it is. But it, it became like a, a joke, but it wasn't that funny because it was really happening. I literally called my coach and I was like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. I'm over it. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. Like this, it was just a mental, like I I just didn't realize that I was going through so much mentally. And yeah, I was just like, I quit. And then literally my coach was like, all right, I'll see you. Just call me when you're ready. So day three happens and, and then what? Day three comes and I was like, can I come hit? <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, but bring your running shoes. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I already (laughs) knew. And so I literally went to practice and did not hit a ball. My coach was, like, making up all types of drills. Run to the doubles line on the other court, then touch the baseline, then touch the center line, then touch this line. And I was just like, I ran for two hours straight. And literally, we didn't even have to have a conversation. We did not speak words we like had that session the next day I came back. He's like, you ready? And I was like, yep. And from then, like just kind of like had my head down and, and kept it going. But literally we didn't even talk about it. We, it was nothing that we needed to talk about. We had that. And I knew while running, I knew what he was telling me without even having to, to say a word. 
Nonverbal therapy at its finest. Yes. That's exactly what that was. We mentioned your 10 singles titles on the ITF circuit. All great accomplishments, Taylor. But is there maybe one of those that is maybe a little more special than the others? Yeah, I think the one in 2014 when I won the wild card playoff for yeah. to get into for the French. I think that was the most special because that was the first time that I think I won anything like at the 50k levels, and I was able to do it back to back. Like I won Indian Harbor and then I won Charlottesville, and then to be able to clinch that, so that was really great. And it was a lot of good players, and like I think Annette Contevi was playing in that tournament. Like it was a lot of really good players who were playing, and it, so it wasn't like any rinky dink kind of tournament. Um, no. And I'm pretty sure I did. I played Putin Seva, I think, in the finals of. Indian Harbor to finish and to get to that. So I was able to string together some really great wins and get some confidence. Um, so I think that was probably the most memorable like section of tournaments. That was the turnaround yeah. for sure. That was the start of the confidence yeah. that kept building. We mentioned Jess Pagula. You actually won two doubles titles with her as well. Mm-hmm. And you've consistently climbed up the WTA doubles rankings over the past few seasons. So let's talk doubles. It's our third question. Max, this is your last question. Taylor has one of the most technical volleys in women's tennis, and she's used that volley to win 20 total pro doubles titles throughout her career. Her 20th title was actually her first WTA level title in Auckland last year with partner Asia Mohammed, as they defeated one of the best new teams in the world, Makoko, in the semis, followed by Team Legends, or maybe it was Team Besties, however you like to call them, Serena and Caroline Wozniacki in the finals. So your question is about Taylor's doubles resume, but I'll make it multiple choice. Taylor has actually been in 30 total doubles finals, including ITF and WTA events in her career with a fantastic 20 and 10 record in finals. Which of the following players has Taylor Townsend not played in a doubles final with? Is it A, Melanie Udan? B, Alexander Stevenson. C, Jessica Pagula. D, Coco Vandeweghe. Or E, Eugenie Bouchard. Which okay. of those five oh gosh. has Taylor not made it to a doubles final with? Okay, Prosser Taylor, do you know this, by the way? Does Taylor know? You already know, like, I, you have to think about it. I gotta think. Okay, all right. Okay, Go for so it, Max. She's done Jeannie a million times. Pagula she's been with. I want to say it's Alexandra Stevenson. Is it Alexandra Stevenson? Is that your answer? Ooh. I feel like there's yes, some that's my going on. Okay, good. All right. Just make sure. Uh, it's not Alexandra Stevenson. Yes, you got to a final with Alexandra Stevenson. I, it was so fun. I, I was it, it Melanie Udown? Who was it? It's Coco Vandeweghe. You played oh. Fed Cup with Coco, but Team Townsaway has not been to a doubles final yet together. Not yet, so... You've been pretty loyal to Asia for your pretty much your career. So of the 20 doubles titles that you've won, do you know how many you've won with Asia? Like 17 is something crazy. It's clear. It's 11. You've spread the love a little bit. You know, you've given some, some others, some chance. What is it about the partnership with Asia that has worked so well over the years? I just really function well with people that I like and that I'm friends with. Um, and that's why I did so well, like in the doubles, in the juniors with Gabby Andrews, we're literally best friends. I think it created that dynamic on court that made it easy to communicate and you kind of start getting a feel for the person 
you start understanding how they work. And um, I just think it takes time to build that rapport. And I'm, I'm a very loyal person. And so I knew that when I played with Asia for the first time, I really enjoyed our chemistry on court, how we played together, her style of play. She's really comfortable at the net, incredibly athletic, great serve. Everything about her game complemented my game and everything about my game complemented hers. And I think that's one of the reasons why I played well with Jess Pagula as well, because her game complements mine. Because she makes it so easy for me to put the ball away. Like, so, so she hits it so hard and so deep and, and I'm just like there and I'm just going to knock it off. And I think she knows that. So, yeah, I think that's really kind of what made me stick. And, and I love Asia as a person and we've kind of grown. And it was difficult as well because I was, I was 16, 17, you know, and she's 23, 24, you know, so a lot older. But now that I'm an adult, and we're able to fill that age gap a little bit. We can go out, have a drink, you know, and do something that's, you know, different than the typical tennis stuff. It makes it yeah, fun as well. You get a chance to know people. Your loyalty to Asia really paid off. It earned you your first appearance in a Grand Slam double semifinal in 2020 at the US Open. What an accomplishment. For every seven, six, and a third against a Halep, there's going to be a seven, six, and a third against a Melichar Chu. What were your thoughts from that U.S. Open semifinal, Taylor? I'm so pissed at that shit. I'm sorry. Like, I'm so mad. Well, what gets you What gets you riled up? Obviously, you're so close. You've worked so hard to get to where you are. Your doubles prowess is fantastic. The chemistry is there. You win a, a huge title in Auckland, beating the best player of all time. So, obviously, you're getting that far. Mm-hmm. And you're pregnant. I mean, there's a lot of adrenaline that's going on there. So, I can imagine why you'd be upset. But... What really was it that that got you so upset? Was it just because you're right there or was it? Yeah, it was, but it was two things. One, I made a very bad mistake and it was a communication error and Asia was right there for an overhead for us to break serve. And I tried to get it because I was tired of overheads going over my head. She was there and I didn't know she was there when we clashed into each other, ended up losing that game, which was put us up 4-1 or some something like 5-1, five, five, something like that. And then at the end, literally our match point that we had, we had a match point and the girl zoo, like Asia hit a great serve and she literally hits the ball on the top of the strings and shanks it. And it hits like this much of the line. And I was like, we challenged it. Cause I was like, that that couldn't have been in. And it literally was like one of those challenges where it was the edge of the ball was on the line. And so it just couldn't have gotten any more lucky than that. And so that was like, oh, okay. Now I understand why you're pissed. Okay. That makes more, (laughs) that makes sense. Yeah. Can we talk about Auckland? We want to hear the inside scoop, Taylor. You beat some of the greatest teams to win that title. Gerges and Garcia in the quarters, Coco and Kat McNally in the semifinals, and then Serena and Caroline in the finals. I'm imagining it was Caroline's first doubles match, I think, since 2014 or 2016. So probably the strategy is just anybody but Serena. Maybe that's probably the strategy at that point. But give us a kind of a quick run through of that final. Yeah, well, Asia and I, like, and that was kind of the first time that I've played, especially, like, with Asian. Like, I really felt like we got better every match that we played. Like, you, you've had that before, but, like, literally every match we played, like, we were able to fix the the kind of shortcomings that we had in the match before 
So by the time we got to the finals, like we were solid. Like I was like, after the first couple games, I was like, yeah, like we're, we're, you know what I mean? I think it was just a matter of us like controlling the nerves aspect, but like after the first couple games, like how I felt was like, yo, we're in it. Like we're in here. And so <laughs> like, I was really, really excited and pumped, but I just knew that our games were very disruptive and to the rhythmic type of players that we were playing. And so we would just try to do our best to not allow them to do what they do to be the best in the world. Like, yeah. So we just tried to get, get, get on top of that as quick as possible. Was well, there a little bit of payback from 2014 when Serena got you that you got up on her this time? Uh, kind of, but not really because I feel like it doesn't count. Like it's doubles. Well, the nerves, you know, obviously playing Serena, having her across the net. I mean, you would know Max and I, maybe, maybe Max, if you win today, maybe Taylor will enter as a wild card, maybe at the US Open next year and you guys can play mixed against Serena. We'll see how this goes. But um, for that, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, you know, playing Serena in any capacity is going to be crazy. You played her at the US Open. I'd love to hear. Let's just divert for one second because I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what it's like playing Serena back in 2014, that big match you're playing at the U S open. Do you remember anything from that match specifically? Was it the most nervous you've ever been? Yeah, definitely. Cause it was like, we just Federer just finished playing. I think Michael Jordan was in the stands. Like that was the year that Federer had debuted the Jordan tennis shoes. So it was like so much stuff going on and like just hype, you know, and I never played a night match on Ash, especially second night match on Ash. So you're, you know, you're closing it out and you want it to be a good match. So I was definitely nervous and I was stressed out and I had like a zit in the middle of my forehead. And I was like, <laughs> of course. So, like, you know, it was just, I think that was stress, but um, yeah, I definitely was nervous. I was more so nervous about like how I was going to perform. It wasn't necessarily like me playing her. It was because like, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but I knew what I was getting myself into. But once you step on the court. Was it as big as you thought? Was it as off the ground momentous? Mm-hmm. Not off the ground. I actually was a lot further back than I had to be. And I had to kind of force myself to like, I was telling myself like move up, move up because I thought the ball was coming a lot faster and a lot harder. And it was like, I thought mm-hmm. it was pushing me back but I was really pushing me back. Like, I was like, no, you can actually step in and like really, you know, put something behind the shot. And I was in the rally. So it wasn't that I was getting out hit on the court, but the mm-hmm. hardest thing is returning her serve. I mean, I really don't think I was in any of her service games and, you know, she was at her like, you know, peak prime and, she won the tournament, I think, with ease. Like, from basically from the semis, I don't think that she dropped any more than five games. So, I was like, I lost two and three. So, I was like, I got five games. So, I set the precedent for the, you know, amount of games people can get. But um, it was so hard to break her serve or just get in the service game. And I just felt like I was always behind in the point to yeah. serve. Plus, I bet when anyone asks you what you do for a living and they, you say you're a tennis player, they're all like, oh, have you played Serena? I'm sure that's over. And you, and you have a night match at the US Open. You know, hello. Always. You can't get more momentous than that. With Max Markham in the stands, you forgot. With Max. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the Auckland final real quick. Was Asia cool as a cucumber playing Serena? Yeah, we both did really okay. good. We both did really good. We were like checking. It's like, how my edges look? My hair was like, <laughs> like, 
what we were doing before the match. Where does that win rank in your career wise? I know we're going to talk about Halep. We have a last question coming up. Of course, we're going to talk about Halep, but uh, is that, was that a special victory for you? Yeah. yeah. And um, even though I had lost a tough match, um, I think I lost to Strakova, but it was a good match. I lost in three sets, but you always want to start the year, you know, off well and, you know, you put your best foot forward and, you know, you work so hard during off season and you want it to pay off in the first tournament of the year. And last year, I know I lost a tough three-setter to Garcia, and that was close, and I had opportunities to win that as well, and she kind of squeaked out of that one. But it was really great to be able to turn around and do well in the doubles, and it gave me confidence going into Australian Open. So it was great that um, we were kind of able to turn that around, but it it did give me confidence because I think I kind of – we were able to gain their respect a little bit because it wasn't like a – situation where oh we're just going to hit them off the court we're just going to yeah. hit the ball hard like we were definitely got balls drilled at us like down the line and and we were just like all right I got this like I'm cool I'm good and I think we handled that really well so it was moment to show I was like I'm not scared like you can bring it and that's how I felt that's how I approached the match like I was really pumped like I was like I want you to hit everything to me like I was ready yeah what a fun moment though the year before you had made the final as well. So it was like yeah. full circle, right? That you got back to the finals and you beat Serena and Carolyn Wozniacki. Yeah. No, yeah. no slouches. Yeah, it was legends. we made the, the finals the year before, but it was cool because I was playing with a girl who uh, was at on the Georgia Tech team at the time. We practiced together all the time and she was a Kiwi. So uh, the support from that was like crazy because they were so excited for someone from there to be doing so well. Yeah, that was a great moment too. I mean, your first title is always so special. And after years of hard work, congrats to you. I mean, and to do it against Serena Williams, what? That's the biggest cherry on top that you could possibly even look for. That's a huge cherry. So well done. Congrats. This is our last question. All right. So if you get this right, you win today and I'll hand you an invisible trophy through Zoom. So let's do this. All right. Here's your last question. We briefly mentioned the Hallett match and we couldn't leave today without talking about the quintessential Taylor Townsend match. It was the ultimate F you to any hater that has trolled the internet and your fans loved every moment of it. The 2019 US Open proved to be a long overdue appreciation for what Taylor can do on a singles court as she defeated world number four, Simona Halep in front of a packed house at the US Open. Taylor would win in dramatic fashion, seven, six in the third. So it got me wondering, how many other matches has Taylor Townsend won 7-6 in the third? So here's your question. It's a tough fee, Taylor. Including ITFs, qualifying, and main draw matches, how many singles matches have you won 7-6 in the third throughout your great career? If you get this right, you've definitely earned the victory today. You can think about it. This has to be multiple choice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, oh fourteen, my gosh. fifteen. Oh wow. <laughs> There's your multiple choice. I feel better about how hard my questions were. Yeah. Now. Come on. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna say Well, we know one already. Seven. We just named one. Okay. That's good. Max, do you wanna guess? What would you say? Three. I'll meet you guys in the middle. It's five. So, I said well five. My first thought, my first one was five in my head. And I was like, Taylor, Martina Townsend, you've gone with your gut your entire career. So that's what we know, right? We have to go with their gut. Can we go back to pre-COVID 2019, guys? Let's go back just a second. It's a really fun match to relive. We're talking about the second round match against Simona. 
you'd played her already a couple times. Mm-hmm. Second round of Cincinnati, 2017 in straight sets. Second round of the French Open, 2018 straight sets. Second round of Miami that same year in 2019 straight sets. Mm-hmm. Then here you go again. You're in the second round of the US Open. You lose the first set and you're like, oh, okay. But then the superpowers of Sailor Moon kick in and here we go. Let's go on to you know the second and the third set. I'm sure it's a little bit hard to remember, but what are you thinking after you win that second set? Oh, I remember clear as day. I was like, if something doesn't change, there's about to be like the other ones. And I think my nerves were getting the best of me at the beginning and I wasn't executing on the game plan that I had had. In the first set, I was doing it, but not really committing 100%. And I was just like, you know what? This is going in the same fashion. And I was like, I kind of on a change of, I remember referencing the other matches. And I remember like, you did the same shit. Don't do it again. Like try something, let's try something else. And so I kind of was just like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to commit to the game style and to the game plan that we had set. And like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but I'm going to go out like that. I literally said, F it. Yeah. You Flavia Panetta yourself. You said, I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Yeah, that was it. Exactly. Right. Tactically, Simona said in the press interview that it was a crazy match for her. No one had ever volleyed as much as anybody had in her entire career. Mm-hmm. Looking back on that match now, what did that do for your confidence? Yeah. I mean, it was great because it just was, it showed and it gave me the confidence to know that my game style and how I play was something that I could execute like on over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I think that it gave me a lot of confidence moving forward. I think not so much from my volleys aspect, but especially from the approach and the want to, and the, the recognition to move forward was like, there like on the drop of a dime I stopped kind of second guessing myself of like should I hit this should I go in then like that those moments where you kind of don't know or you think about it but you don't but I that those voices like were gone and I was just like I'm hitting I'm going if you pass me you pass me whatever but I'm gone if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that match YouTube that match it is such a great match to watch especially from a tennis perspective or from a fan perspective, really of someone that's playing a game, sticking to their guns, not giving up, going full throttle, hitting unbelievable volleys that are insane, underspin volleys, touch volleys. It was amazing. Amazing match. I you love follow- watching that. I mean, that was like, if, if I could describe, I mean, I'm going to gush a little bit. If I could describe my perfect game, it's literally the game that you played <laughs> against Simona in that match. I mean, the serve and volley was incredible. And I think you undersold this point. Like she had to pass you a lot of times and sometimes she did, of course, but to not get discouraged after seeing a ball fly by and to keep going in against someone who had just won Wimbledon. I mean, that's wild. It was such an incredible match. You followed that great win with a win against the veteran Kirstea in the third round for a place in your first fourth round match of a grand slam where you played the unstoppable Bianca Andreescu. What an event, Taylor. Did Anything changed for you after that U.S. Open? Maybe besides that paycheck, it helped upgrade your crib for the baby. I probably, you know, that was probably helpful. But um, what changed for you after that U.S. Open? Yeah, I think that um, that was kind of like the first time that I really felt like I had proven myself and that like I belong. And I started to feel that sense of belonging and not feeling like, 
I don't know if I, you know, I can have a good day here and there. Like I was really happy. Like, I mean, people only talk about the main draw, but that was my seventh match. So like, if I was actually in, if I had started in Maine, like I would have been in the finals or could have potentially won the tournament. So that was, I had to play three tough matches and I was down. I was a point away from, you know, losing in my second round qualities or last round qualities. And I was able to pull through that. And so it was my seventh match. So yeah, I really had a sense of belonging and a sense of like, okay, like I can really do this. And like to be able to win that match and then come back and win another match was like really great. Cause it wasn't just like, okay, she just had a good day. Like I was really able to kind of like, and it was a good win. Like I played well, she played well. And, and now people were looking at me and watching and saying, okay, is she going to be able to keep this up? And I was. And so that felt really good. And it, it carried over into my 2020 season. Unfortunately, you know, COVID hit and everything, but I went and I worked extremely hard during the off season, very motivated. And then it carried over into my season in um, 2020 and being able to get the doubles victory was kind of a, you know, what a tournament, what a tournament, especially for Taylor Townsend fans. It was a long time coming Taylor Townsend. I just mentioned baby Taylor jr. This past October, you announced on social media, your pregnancy, your fans were thrilled. My sister had miso soup and pineapple cravings for her pregnancy. Are you, are you have any strange cravings? Thankfully? No, like, I have, okay. well, I'm not going to say that. I think my biggest craving has been like sandwiches, like turkey sandwiches. It's so weird. Okay. Not weird. I'll take one right now. Blueberry. Oh, yeah. on the sandwich. No, I just been <laughs> killing like all berries, like pretty much all fruit. It's really strange. Like my sweet tooth has like went from like, Oh, I'll take cookies and stuff to like, I want fruit. So I was like, if I can stay on this track, like I'll be great postpartum. Like my body's going to be snatched. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Maybe I should just get pregnant. That's going to help. Maybe that's what I need to do. Thanks for that diet. That's we'll work on that. I'm going to ask this before I close this out today. And I'm pretty confident. I already know the answer, but the goal is to come back and play the tour full time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Great. Is there a soft date in mind that we've kind of circled on the calendar? Well, I said, I said May of 2022. Okay. Um, yeah. As like kind of a tentative time. Is there a place? Is there a tournament you'd just really want to just come back and play? Not necessarily. I did. Okay. I did say that like for 2022, my first slam would probably be us open. Um, because you know, you have to kind of strategically use your protected ranking and you get slams mm -hmm. as part of the eight tournaments. So I said that it would be really great to like return to like slam play, um, in the, at the U S open. Um, but I wanted to give my tw myself 12 to 14 months. And I thought right. that may was a good time because it's clay season. And so it would give me an opportunity to like, kind of just grind and like play a lot of matches without beating up my body. Um, I mean, you know, clay beats up your body in a different way, but in terms of injury and all of that stuff, like it's a little bit better. So um, yeah. that's kind of why I said, I said may and, you know, play the play, you know, I could possibly play an extended clay season. You know, I'm probably not going to play the grass and then, you know, kind of focus on us hard stuff. Thanks for the announcement. We're circling the calendars. Well, when you do, you'll be part of a pretty cool club of pro tennis moms. When you come back to the tour, I'm sure they'll have some great advice if you ask for it. Yeah. So 
We'll yeah. be right there, Taylor. We'll be front and center playing that Whitney Houston song. So thank you so much. Janet Jackson. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, that's the game. Congratulations, Max. You're the winner today of Fan versus Favorite bragging rights for the tennis fans this week. So well done. Thank We're going to wrap up today with two questions from our You've Got Mail fan bag. You've got mail. Question number one, Taylor, is from Vicky in Vancouver, Canada. She writes, Taylor, huge fan of yours and congrats on the baby. I've noticed in your career, you tend to limit your tournaments outside of the U.S. and Mexico to only Grand Slams and a warm-up or two. With so many ITF and tour events in the U.S., it makes sense. But I wondered, what was the reasoning behind your tournament scheduling? A large portion of it was finances and financial. Um, Mm -hmm. And like I said, when you're playing, when you're not consistently in the top 100 or in the main draw of these tournaments, it's incredibly, incredibly expensive. And so I kind of had to be, do what was financially advantageous. And if that was, Hey, I'm going to play tournaments in the States. Honestly, tournaments are tournaments. And I think that people get caught up in you have to play WTAs and all of this stuff. And you really don't. It's just a matter of, can you perform when you need to perform, which was Mm -hmm. at the slams and when you're really going to get the big checks. (laughs) So um, that was really kind of why those times I chose ITF tournaments and to build confidence, to get some match wins, consistent match wins, instead of, you know, flying all the way to France or Germany and you're in qualies and you could potentially play, you know, someone ranked 50 in the world. If you go through it, it's great. And you have a great week, but that's not guaranteed necessarily all the time. So it was pretty much financial and just making smart money decisions. Last question will be from one of your very biggest fans. Max, you have our last question today. I do. I want to know what you're most excited for in motherhood. You know, you're bringing a a beautiful black baby into this world and that's so exciting. And I, I hope that you have an amazing support system, but you know, what do you, what it can be tennis or not tennis related, but what are you most looking forward to and having a, having a kid? Yeah, I think it's been so interesting how this whole experience has changed my mindset. I have never watched this much tennis. You miss it. Yeah. And it has like being away from the game has really given me an appreciation for the sport and how much I really love it. But being able to look at it from an objective point of view, as well as being able to really like take myself out of the competitive field and being able to really like support, you know, other, other players has been great. But for me, the most exciting thing I think is that I have an opportunity to create a better system for my child than I had and a better upbringing and that I've been able to really reflect back on some mistakes that I've made, the endeavors that I've gone through in life, in in life, not even just tennis. Tennis has taught me a lot and being in the tennis world has taught me a lot, but just my life lessons of me, what's important to me as a person, my character, and all of these things and and being able to instill that into my child is like, is so amazing. And I think that it's like a fresh start almost. So it's very exciting. And like always, I alluded to like, you know, in my, my reveal video, you know, people telling me, Oh, you're too fat at four years old and you're never going to make it. And you're not good enough and all this stuff. And you hearing this rhetoric at such a young age, even if you're talking about it, like my child will never, hear that and internalize that because like 
their support system is going to be so strong and they're going to be so built up because I mean, even look at Venus and Serena, like they got talked about like dogs, like drugs through the mud, through the dirt, their father, their family situation, everything got ripped to shreds, but they were so built up and confident in who they were and their parents instilled that Orsine and Richard did. And so it wasn't able, you know, the media tried to shake them. I remember I watched his interview and he was like, why did you answer that question so confidently? And Richard was like, she answered your question. You know what I mean? Don't try to tear her down because she didn't answer it the way that you thought she was going to. And so I just think it's so empowering and so inspiring that I'm going to be able to kind of change that and be able to kind of turn that different path and, and put them on a path to say, hey, no, you can do anything. You can do whatever you want and you have the 100% support of your parents. It's yeah. just really exciting that I'm able to kind of do that and write my own thing because it is my own. It's, a, it's my life and it's, you know, my child's life. So I have 100% control of that. Where in sometimes in my life, I didn't have 100% control of what I heard, what people were saying around me, what I internalized. So um, yeah, I know that was long-winded, but it's, it's just really exciting because it's just totally changed my perspective and my mindset of how I look at stuff. I remember vividly watching that Indian Wells match, Kleisters against Serena, when I was like 10 or 11 with my mom. And she, like, it was one of those moments where my mom, like, struggled to explain what was going on. Like, I didn't understand why American people were booing Serena. I didn't understand. I was like, I'm not rooting for Kleisters. I'm rooting for this beautiful black girl beads. Hello. And that's just like to have you say that about like having that ownership over your future kids life and protecting them in that way. It's such a beautiful thing. So kudos to you. Absolutely. Oh, I love this hour. What a, what a fun hour guys. I'm so inspired. I want to thank my guests for joining us today. We learned so much. I, gosh, you can find Max on Instagram at Max underscore not underscore mark (laughs) you can also learn more or donate to march for our lives by visiting the website marchforourlives.com thank you my friend always fun to hang out with you thank you john our guest today can be found on instagram at tay underscore townsend or on twitter at taylor townsend taylor i can't thank you enough i wish you a very safe a very healthy pregnancy i can't wait till you walk out to that whitney houston song (laughs) it's gonna be momentous. I love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much. And while you're on Instagram, shoot me a DM at John Garica. Let me know who you're a big fan of and who you'd like to see on an upcoming show. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. I wouldn't be doing this if you didn't love hearing these stories like I do. My name is John Garica and thank you for listening. This has been Fantastic. Fantastic.